Hey everyone, what's up? You are welcome to this episode of the podcast. This is the first of the series, Locally School, Globally Relevant, and we're so excited to bring the show to you today. Our guest for today is Beniza Wikina. I'm going to read his bio, we'll take a word from today's sponsors, and we'll go straight into the interview. So let me read his bio. Ebenezer Wikina is a media and policy strategist who has been working in the Niger Delta for the past 10 years. Ebenezer is popularly known for the Stroll Life, an interview series that he founded in 2013 with his Nokia feature phone and independently engaged over 100 world leaders and experts from more than 30 countries. His work has been featured on the Huffington Post, the United Nations website, World Economic Forum Agenda, BBC World Service, Al Jazeera, CNBC Africa, to mention a few. In addition to his work in the media, Ebenezer has also been involved in community development over the past decade. He organized West Africa's only TEDx youth event in 2014, was a speaker at the 25th anniversary of the World Economic Forum in Africa, and served as technical committee member at the Government of River State Sustainable Development Goals Office. Ebenezer is currently a member of the Open Government Youth Collective, former ambassador of USAID-funded youth-led platform, and sits on the board of the Port Harcourt Global Shapers Hub and Sickle Cell Awareness and Health Foundation. This extensive work has earned him several awards and recognition, some of which include the Mandela Washington Fellowship, the Made in Sound City Africa MVP Award for Community Development, the British Council Future News Worldwide, the Global Investigative Journalism Network Fellowship, the inaugural list of 100 most influential young Nigerians to mention a few. Wikina currently guest lectures online journalism at Ken Sarawiva Polytechnic in River State and has co-authored two books. He's an alumnus of the London School of Journalism and Harvard Kennedy School. He's currently completing academic and professional programs at Nexford University, Stanford University, and the MicroMasters program offered by MIT and J-PAL. Wow. I'm so blown away. All right, so let's take a word from our sponsor, and we're going to go straight into the interview. This episode is brought to you by Next Step Summit. If you are interested in learning the digital skills that will rule the future of work, do-it-yourself CVs, professional conduct, and utilizing your entrepreneurial mindset, then don't miss this. It's later to hold on the 3rd of October on YouTube Live from 1pm to 4pm. Side attraction includes free digital skills training of your choice, career mapping session, internship opportunities for 400 participants only. Registration is absolutely free. Y'all hit the link in my show notes if you're interested in the summit. Register now. Thank me later. Hi, Beniza. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you I'm for having so... me. All right. So I just read your bio to our listeners and I'm sure that they are as blown as I was when I read the bio personally, right? Um, yeah. So before we even go anywhere, let's talk about how you started. There's this thing that young people hate it when they ask su- successful people how they started and they say, oh, not God or um, <laughs> I am self-made. Like we all, we are pagans, you know. So how did it all start for you? So um, thank you, thank you one, one, one more time for having me. Such a great opportunity um, to share. How how did this start really? I'd I'd say it started from when I was pretty young, up until like the end of secondary school. I was I had a very normal regular life. In just yesterday, I went to switch from sciences to the arts because there's this thing when Nigerian schools, 
you know, feel like if you pass the junior YAC exams very high, they feel like you should be in the sciences. And then if you, if you score, if you don't score very high, they think you should be in the arts. And that's this is actually something that actually needs to change, you know, because there's no self-development, no self-discovery, no, no questioning whatsoever. Because I've always loved to write. I've always wanted to be a journalist. I, I had been telling my parents that already, but, you know, coming from River State, you know, we have a lot of oil. So the assumption is that, you know, kids here have to work in oil, oil companies, you know, after all, it's our, it's our land, it's our oil. So my parents also had that kind of dream for me, you know, being the first of five, five children. So my mom wasn't buying it, but somehow I was able to convince her. So we went to school one of those days to meet our guidance counselor of VP. And somehow the long story, the short story is that he convinced us that, oh, it's a bad idea. You know, people are trying to move from arts to sciences and we're not allowing them. Why are you moving from sciences to the arts? You know, stay where you are. This is the best profession you can be. So I did the sciences for three years. But then in SS3, like when I finished secondary school in 2007, everything just changed. Because when I finished first, I think I was 14 plus. I was still pretty young. So they were like, oh, I mean, you're too small to go and live alone and stuff like that. So just wait for one year. Um, and then let's see what happens from there. So next year you're going to write. So I waited for 2007. 2008, I, I wrote the first one. I think I passed um, Jam, yeah. I, I passed Jam. I think I passed after test as well. But I couldn't get admission for a very strange reason. There was no, because I was trying to get into gas engineering. But there was no reason why I didn't, because like I scored like 40 over 60 or something like that. So, something pretty high, you know, that was supposed to get me to school. But I didn't get admission. So they're like, oh, don't worry, you're still very young. You're just, you're just 15. Don't worry, right? Next year. So I wrote when I was 16. Somehow, you know this thing where Jump cancels the entire center? If they if they assume that there is a um, widespread um, uh, practice, yes. So, yeah. I mean, practice because I, I feel like it's very dumb. If I, if I read and pass, why do I need to go and, you know? So, yeah, so, I mean, of course, I, I didn't really care much about the exam or practice, but because I was in that center, Jump canceled everything. So they also canceled my results. That was um, 2009. So I had to write the next year. And guess what? They canceled the results the next year too. So the center I wrote at the next year. So at, the, at that point, it became a problem. You know, then they were, you know, going to church, prayer points here and there. Oh, there's something wrong. <laughs> there's something wrong with this guy's life. You know, because moving very fine, all of a sudden things have changed. You know, so prayers and depression and, you know, everything was beginning. To, and I was what? I was like 17 ish. I think it was too much for a 17 year old to be. I, I should have been leaving secondary school at that time, maybe, at times to get into university. We've got all the whole rush. You know, so I was like having to deal with so many um, adult challenges in quotes, you know, at that at that time. I would say it was in that in the midst of that depression and confusion and you know wondering what the hell was happening. Like I just couldn't understand why it was happening that way. So many times in our lives things will happen that, you know, at the moment we might not understand it. You know, that's how confused I was at that time. I think in that time I I, I fell in love with reading. So it was in that confusion that I started discovering myself, knowing that okay, I mean you love to write. Might not be great at it yet. Might not try developing yourself in it. The option was, should I go back to school and start writing YX? I was confused for a long time, to be honest. What exactly is happening? Like, what should I be doing? How can how can my life actually have meaning? As far back as 2011, 2012, those early days of Coursera and co, I was already taking online courses, you know, in writing. I was looking for mentors online. I'm sure many people who <laughs> many people who were like all them Eugenia Abu and co at that time. I was always sending them emails, bugging them on social media telling them I want them to mentor me. <laughs> I just became hungry. I said, okay, let me see if I can find a way to like develop myself. Let me just see if I can, if the writing is going to work for me. Maybe writing is not even my thing, but I can find out by trying. So I wanted to just try. So that's how I was writing, you know, pushing myself out there, 
taking all the courses, sending articles to people that never published them, you know. But then when I found out, when I learned about online publishing, that was through eZine articles, eZineArticles.com. I don't know if they still exist, but at that time, they were like a platform where you share your content and then your content can then be sold or given to another, maybe like a, a mainstream publisher. So I was writing mostly plagiarized stuff back back then, <laughs> a lot of plagiarized things because because I really didn't understand how, I didn't even understand writing now. So I, I wasn't sure how this thing works. I'll just see an idea, I'm like, oh, this idea looks great. I'll just copy it and put it in my own article <laughs> without crediting them and stuff like that. <laughs> because I mean, inexperienced, you know, and everything. So we're just going around and around. And then I met a couple of mentors. One of my first mentors who really changed my, my idea about life and the way I saw things is he's late now, sadly, uh, Professor Donald Murray. You'd always say, oh, because I emailed him online, told him that I wanted him to mentor me. He was like, he's busy, he doesn't have time. I'm like, I, I don't mind, you know, just whenever you have time, let me know. So what he would do is when he has classes, he would teach and then his assignments and notes, whatever from, from class, he would send them to me via email mm-hmm. and say like, Aww. just take, don't don't bother me again, that kind of thing. <laughs> and I'll show him and say thank you. And I'll do the assignment that night, you know, using my Nokia phone then, because I had this Nokia phone. Is this Nokia feature feature phone where, you know, pretty much just does music, MP3 music and basic browsing and email. So I'll do the assignments quickly and send back to him. And he'll be like, ah, you're too, you're too passionate. Like, you should rest or something. And I'll be, <laughs> and I'll be disturbing him, bothering him. He, he made me see that, oh, okay, you can actually be, you can actually make writing a big deal. Because I'll keep asking him, like, do you make money from, from writing? He'll say, yes, he makes money from writing. That, that's how he pays his, you know, his, his bills and his, and his family's bills. And for me, it was about the money part because my parents kept saying, it's not possible to be a journalist and make money enough. That's why they wanted me to do engineering and I had, I had an uncle that always say oh you know journalists are always looking for brown envelope they don't have money always tracking and I really didn't want that kind of life for myself so <laughs> so I was very confused at that early stage trying to understand what exactly you know was happening so it, I think it was from 2012 2013 when all of this whole thing started you know understanding that oh okay I can actually write something in, in Portacot and have someone in Brazil you know read it and send me their thoughts that changed the way i saw i saw the first time i met you i met you was in i think 2014 or 15 14. came to university yeah. to do this generation now um, something like that yeah we had this yeah, that, talk. I don't think I don't think you remember, yeah. but you were talking about how you were a United Nations volunteer. At the time, I didn't know anything about international work. I didn't know anybody mm. could be a United Nations anything, right? From you know, Portacol, right? So at that point, I think mm-hmm. it just kind of inspired me. So yeah, it just made me look outside my geographical boundaries and realize that I can actually do work that would matter to the international community. I mean, so what does local to global mean to you? Is it different strokes for different folks or um, the same mm. emphasis would apply? Okay, so well, because of the internet age that we're at now, it's, it's kind of like submerged pretty much. Almost anyone can go global almost instantly because of social media, the internet revolution, having access to almost anybody anywhere, right from your mobile phone, you can reach anybody anywhere. The internet has made everything, it's like a level playing field. So everyone has a chance now to pretty much reach anybody that they want to reach from anywhere in the world. I mean, the story of my interview series is like a very good example. I I was a random guy, you know, didn't have any media experience at at the time. Just had a blog spot. When I sent emails out to people telling them about my interview series, you had random people like 
Tetona, CNN, you know, random, random ish mm-hmm. people who should be able to take me seriously. So, so the rules have kind of like changed in the sense that bef- before now, there used to be powerful middlemen who, if you want to say you want to become a global superstar, you need to have a, let's say, a music star. You need to have a powerful, you know, distributor who would help, you know, distribute your your music through their channels, you know, in in the international markets. But now you can just from randomly in your room have a SoundCloud or have something that you would share. I mean, they're, they're most of the superstars now are mostly SoundCloud superstars who who started from just singing in their rooms. You know, whether it's Billie Eilish or or Kali, it's just pretty much people who just have the basic tools with them. You know, but then you reach technology and the internet to reach. As as uh, to reach the world really as as much as they can imagine, they've reached almost every everywhere in the world, and so that's helped to grow their reach and to grow their network. So I, I would say do it's not different strokes because the the platform is there to everybody. You know, it just depends on how you're able to leverage it. Are you doing media? Are you doing fashion? You know, is it catering? A- anything you're doing really, just know how to apply that same technology to. To, to your skill and then it's a go far this is really profound thank you um so yeah what, what skills do you think we need i mean we're not talking about music now because like if you're singing you know that like, you need to know how to sing yeah mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what skills like for global competence i school in nigeria here mm-hmm. um all my life i've been in nigeria yeah what skills do you think i would need to compete globally like like look at the pandemic um yeah. people now have access to more, more remote work but i opened up my linkedin to um yeah. job opportunities outside of nigeria because i just wanted to know if i stood a chance if i was gonna apply to any of those countries um okay let me give an example for example i want to be uh, maybe an art director here in nigeria i wanted to know if the same skills that i would need here in nigeria would be the same skills i'll, I'll need in a country like america right um so yeah and i'm not talking about sector specific skills now i'm talking about like um general skill yeah like soft skills like on in, in the grand scheme of things what kind of skills do you think we will need for global competence so i mean it's a very good question because like most times people people get stuck with technical skills a lot what school teaches us right but technical skills alone especially in the, in the current world is not enough to make you thrive in the in the evolving world of work so i would say one thing i've seen from my personal experience and even working internationally as well that 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 is very useful is curiosity you should be curious enough to find out why why does this happen what are we doing why should we do this so internationally people would be more you know interested in you they see that you're someone who likes to always find out why and why and why you know you always want to get the answers to questions and you're willing to push yourself beyond limits most times we are used to working you know in confined boxes here so you go to work your job is just to post on social media for example and you just go to work build your do your banner post on social media at five o'clock you go home next morning come back start the same thing all over again you know, but one thing i've seen working with some international organizations is that they they would prefer if you're challenging like do, do something out of the box. Don't be too, you know, stuck in your ways. Don't be too streamlined. So um, I would say that is that is one. Of course, other things like communication is very key. If you can add languages to yourself, that would be amazing. That's what I'm trying to build currently. The blessing of languages is very, very key for people who want to work internationally. I mean, there's Google Translate and things like that that you can use to translate languages. But if you if you know it by, by heart, it's usually very easy, you know, to connect and blend in. So, if you have one more, one or two more international languages, it just it helps you to be able to connect a lot more you know, with people across di- different geographical locations. So I would say, curious, expand your language base, your vocabulary. Understand that 
so most times we not, not, not just with language now but like our context the way we we do things for example let me try to explain now let me if i was doing a ted talk in organizing a, a ted talk in but the way people will speak on that ted talk you know the first of all those oh thank you for having me thank you for this oh people that have come here greet everybody like the, the way the way they will speak at that ted talk and the way they will speak at the tech talk in the us or maybe in the, in the uk or in australia will be very different right because the context is different so if we have a high person anyone that comes on stage will first of all greet the high person and say oh hi thank you for you know that, you know that kind of thing yeah. But I mean, there everyone everyone understands the concept. So like, un- un- understand the context. That might not be a perfect example. But understand the context of where you're working, because sometimes it's easy to get stuck in our own Nigerian context, you know, or your own local context, um, from from wherever you are, and not fit into that other that other context. So mm-hmm. context might be the way you talk to people. So like, one of the first shockers I, I got when I was um, writing for the Huffington Post. Um, that's early 2014. You know this whole thing of saying sa sa ma sa ma. You know, I mean, yeah, sa ma is, is is fun because like people want to be called sa sa ma or auntie and uncle. Yeah. You know, but they're, they're like we we don't we don't even know you, bro. Like they might prefer first name basis, for example, in those kind of places. So just understand the context of where you're working. I mean, let me just chip in. Even in Nigeria here, right? You you are Ogoni and Buguma, yeah. In, exactly. Ogo, in, in for example, Mene in my village means. Um, what does Mene in Ogoni mean? It means chief. Means yeah. chief. In Buguma, guess what it means? What does it mean? Soldier ant. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, That's a huge. Huge disparity. <laughs> like you get. Imagine me coming to or, or someone from Ogoni coming to my village. I don't know whatever mm-hmm. to give a talk, and you're like, mm-hmm. you're like Mene. You get like. <laughs> <laughs> um, like what's happening here exactly that's that's a wonderful example so understanding the context is, is really very very key you know so you don't confuse people so you can easily fit in and blend in and especially these days of remote work people should be able to understand you and you should be able to understand them as well especially because we're not having as much physical interaction as, as we used to have yeah so yeah so so that that's it language curiosity and understanding of yeah of course other, other things like hard work you know sorry other things like hard work yeah. you know being punctual you know those things are always very very key being someone that is self self-led because you know when we have a lot more of remote remote work self-leadership is very key yeah. you might not have someone pushing you around or coming to your office to go and check if you work you know, you're just you're just alone with your laptop somewhere so mm-hmm. you need to be able to motivate yourself by yourself and push yourself to do things yeah, very important. To do. yeah. right yeah. um so what lessons have you picked up on the way so far many um let me try to just share like three or four so one of the first things i've picked up is that you really do not need to get everything you need to to start most times when you want to start anything might be an idea a blog a youtube channel a business you know a relationship whatever most times we feel like we want everything to be perfect first like everything we need to start should be there you know startup capital the house you want to get the the post you need everything should just be there before you start but i've kind of like learned that most times it's even better or it's even best when most things that you even need and, and they're, they're, they're not even there you know you have to always improvise find a way to improvise with the little things you have mm-hmm. you know, i mean no care phone examples and no care features exactly. exactly so like i've understood perseverance most times starting from little is even a blessing but you know we, we always feel like oh we don't have the, the things we need you know you don't have the best internet you don't have i mean those of course those, those things are challenges you know but if we are able to thrive in spite of those things when you get the things that you need, you would be flying. You know, you 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 be you be hundred times more efficient than you know ever than, than ever before. So I would say ensure that you have 
you know, that's kind of mindset. Don't wait for things to be perfect. Things may never be perfect. So it's always best for you to always, you know, make do with what you have and find a way to use those little resources at your disposal. Yeah. Second thing is, don't be afraid to take no. I think one of the things I've taken in my life is so many no's, you know, whether it's from Jam or from, <laughs> or, or from people I want to interview or from applying for fellowships and things like that. Like, there'll be a lot of no's. I think what what's distinguishes those who, who, I mean, are successful in quotes are those who will continue despite the, the no's. I mean, the no's are annoying. You know, when you apply for a grant or a fellowship or something, and, and people and people say say no to you, but they say, oh, your one your application was wonderful. We really like this application, but sorry, sorry, we cannot we cannot give it to you. So those kind of emails can be very depressing. But if you can find a way to persevere, in spite of all those di- disappointing emails and, and and rejections, then you do better. A good example is so this year I, I got the Mandela Washington Fellowship. I've been applying since since 2014, right? I mean, even even before I was, even before I was, I was legal because it's from for people age 25. I think when I was 23, I was applying, 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 and I applied every year, just feeling that I was closer. Like I just knew that I understood what I did. At some point, I, of course, I felt like, oh, what's what's really happening? Like I'll read applications from my friends, and they're going to get in. Why am I not getting in? Like, what, what the hell the hell is going on now? But I just knew that if I saw that I was making a mistake in this area, I'll change it for the next year. And then for the next year, and then for the next year, and for the next year, and for the next year. So like when I went for my interview in, in Lagos, like in January, when I, when I met them, they said, apply six times. I said, yeah, like, you guys need to give me like a t-shirt or something. You know? <laughs> like, because I'm, I'm like a mask right now. <laughs> and then the questions they asked, like I already knew them. Like it was just, it was pretty, it was like just like a, a walkover pretty much yeah. for me. So like the more you persevere, the closer you are to success so this is such a every, such a huge every, uh, motivation for me because i think i applied in 2016 okay. it was just like oh, the year was almost mm. wrong you know when i applied and i think mm. it was the part where they asked um if you had they were giving i think how much dollars what were you going to use it for mm. and i hate finance oh my god uh-huh. I, yeah. I was like you know what <laughs> i submitted the, my application a few hours before it was going to end when i hit submit the thing turned to code i'm just like you know what <laughs> i can't because i was doing this thing for like i was building it up and it wasn't even funny but this is yeah. enough motivation for me to just you know get back at it when the next cohort yes get, get back at it. and then and then m- most times you might not even need to do it like up yeah. to up to six times yours might be thrice yours might be twice yours might be once you know if you don't try you really never know if you're going to get it so most times that fear of it's a not it's a natural human thing of saying oh well let me not try so i don't fail yeah. but if you don't try you usually never know so it's always good to give it a shot you know so yeah so that's taking taking rejections turning them to stepping stones as opposed to being stumbling blocks i think one one thing else to mention is um i, f- I feel like i had a very good you know i mean i know most people like people confuse religion with you know spirituality but I, I feel like i had a very good relationship with god growing up my parents exposed me to church and you know youth youth programs and teenagers programs and all those kind of things somehow those things kind of like made made it difficult for me to have too much spare time because one thing i've learned is that when you have a lot of time on your hands if, if you're you idle you can do a lot of things that might that might destroy you some might not destroy you but like you're more prone to getting into things that might actually destroy you as a young person who has so much energy you know so getting to know understanding god and having like having a very strong faith foundation has helped me to grow you know as a, as a person so i'm always thinking of how i can help people give back think of how what i'm doing to the next person do i want it to be done to me so just ensuring that you know moral values everything are in check had helped me to grow i mean i'm not saying i'm perfect though but i'm just saying that just that foundation as it as a child you know has helped me so it's important to have 
values, you know, to have things that you strive for. Because most times we say success will change people. You know, when you begin to see things you've not seen before, mm-hmm. or money you've not received in your account before, begin to feel like you arrived, you know, and you're, and you're flying, and you're flying high in the sky. But once you have a good foundation, all of those, you see all those things as passing things. You know, Th- those things are great and they're amazing, but they shouldn't define who you are. Because if you change because of them, what if they're not there? You know, would you would you come back to who you are before? So that has always been the foundation and the anchor of my life. So I think that faith background always helped me. So I'm not saying you should come and convert. And you see, if you want to convert, great. But <laughs> but have have values that things that can hold you, things that will make things that even when situations change, you know, you can you can still stand stand firm, you know, to yourself. That has always been very helpful to me. Yeah. So I mean, these are just uh, part of the things that I think have been helpful. Um, connecting with people is great too. So having a great network. Sometimes we think of how we can make something off the next person. So if I know you, what can I benefit from you? You know, but if, if, even thinking of how I can help you, even sometimes you end up benefiting more than, than ever, ever before when you're helping the person. A, a very good example is, so I, I, I'll give this last example. One of those days when I was still, you know, looking for mentors and stuff like that, I, I got in touch with um, Millicent Walker. She was working at Nigeria Info FM. At the, at the time so I, I reached out to her like i don't know that was like 2013 2014 ish the reason why we even reached out why i reached out to her was that i wanted to help her because I, I saw she had a blog then i was i was blogging i, was, I, was, I had like maybe like two year experience with blogging so I, I felt like oh okay i saw her blog and i said well can i can i help you like make your blog look better because you have like great content but you don't have well it's not it's not arranged well you know you need a better theme you need a better well that's normal blog spot then and she's like oh okay you're willing to do that i say yes how much are you going to take i said I, I don't want money to be honest. Like I just want to help. It's like, oh really? Okay, great. So she sent me some blogging stuff, and we met actually we met a couple of times, and then you know I was able to help her. Talked about blogging a lot. But then the thing was that she had a lot of things that I went to learn from. But I didn't go to her saying I want to come and learn from you. Come and teach me X Y Z. I knew that she had a challenge that I could I could help her with, and if I benefit from it in the end, great. If I don't benefit from it, at least I've I've done I've done something you know for someone. But in the end, I ended, I ended up benefiting from relationship more than any other person because she was connecting me with opportunities. Wow. Many times when I was broke, she was sending me money, whether it's a 15K or a 20K, randomly. And so just having someone you can speak to who, who understands like the media and, you know, those days while well, I was interning on various radio stations here, here in BH, trying to understand, you know, broad, broadcasting and to see if that's something I want to do. You know, she helped me a lot with connecting me with all this the OAPs around town because of just that experience of trying to help her, you know, which ended up becoming the positive thing for me. So that's something other people can also, because you know, many times we always think of what we can benefit from stuff because we are, we are naturally selfish. I mean, but if you, if you turn it upside down and think of how you can help someone, you might end up benefiting more than you can stuff, ever imagine. Rob. This is good stuff. I'm I'm definitely taking this. Like, I'm gonna listen to this um, podcast and take. One. So um, mm. let's flip the switch and reverse engineer. Um, how we've been talking about local to global. How do we move from global to local? Okay. Um, so I I feel like you can use the same principle um, that we use from going from going from local to global. Pretty much understanding the context is also key. But I think the paramount one is understanding that the way people are in the international market is different from the way they are in your, in your local market. What are their peculiarities? What are their words? What are their urban words? What are the things they, they talk about, their conversations, etc. Those things are very key, you know, if you're thinking from a media perspective now. So I think I think that is that is important. But there's going to be a fusion of global and local in the media space, but I think it will happen even a lot more broadly. So you have something called GLOCAL, so G-L-O-C-A-L. 
I, I read something about it a few years ago, where where you'll be able to function locally, but using global best practices, using a global mindset. You know, understanding that from where you are, you can reach the world, and at the same time, reach your community. You know, and both both audience still able to understand whatever you're saying. You know, and they can and they can get you. So that's that's one of the things that people see will happen in, in a couple of years. But generally, I'll say it's almost the same the same principle. Ensuring that you understand your context, ensuring that um, you, you remain you remain curious, remain creative. You know, ensuring that your your audience, whether it's the people you're working for, or let's say you have a internship base, for example, for Blue Ribbon Podcast, that's all the all the, all those things all all come to play. You know, in the idea of going yeah, local. True. Let global. me just chip in that. You know, yeah. the United Nations with their 17 sustainable development goals, that's like an international thing. And people now bring it to Nigeria in the villages, yeah. interior villages, call members using it to work and, and stuff. So that's like from global exactly. to local. We also see it with um, global citizen, right? They're trying to eradicate exactly. poverty by 2030. And um, even with the pandemic, we saw how much millions of dollars they were able to, yeah. able to raise. People even in grassroots movements, you know, using these SDG, SDG stuff and using all these other things, right, to impact their society. So that's, um, that's also mm-hmm. global. Amazing example. What you're saying is like exactly. using global, using a global agenda, you know, like lo- localizing a global, yeah, a global idea or quality, global agenda. Uh, climate you know, change, sustainability, hunger and stuff. Like yeah, people are yeah. actually taking that message, right, and, you know, trickling it down to, to grassroots movements. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that. Moving on, um, yeah. yeah um, I yeah. mean, if you were to do anything different, what would you do differently? Hmm, differently. <laughs> I would believe in myself a lot more because, like, starting out, I was pretty unsure. All that initial disbelief in, my, in myself, pretty much, I think, must must have slowed me down a bit. You know, so I could have believed in myself a lot more and believed in my yeah. in my in my guts to push it through. You know, push it through to the end. So, yeah, I think that's something I would have done. I'd have done differently. I also would have like I I wouldn't have put down any of my ideas because like I mean so, sometimes the ideas that we feel are very crazy are the ones that eventually become some. I'm sure like think, thinking of an idea of where, where you have an interview series to future people like you know princes from Norway and you know people who own media houses CNN and Abseyrako might sound crazy you know for a random person you know but I mean trying it out it worked out so maybe there was a chance that it couldn't have worked out but luckily. It did. So you might have a crazy idea that you might feel is too far away, you know, that that, that, that you don't want to implement. That it's, that it's too far from reality, for example. But I, I would say if I could change anything, then I would have just implemented all my ideas. As crazy as they might be, as stupid as they might be, just try it out, you know, and see and see where it leads. If, if it fails, great, you try something else. You know, but just that's that ability to just try out stuff and not you know, limit ourselves using Thank our own Thank you so much. It's been an amazing thoughts. time with you. Yeah. And despite all the challenges, we're still able to pull this up. Thank you yeah, so much. Yes, I'm excited. You go, <laughs> Thank you. Anything that you want our listeners to know about. Um, and then, um, what are your social media handles? So, yeah, if you want support, yeah, just drop me right now. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm working on quite a number of things. First, one of the first things I'm doing that I'm pretty passionate about currently is a, a challenge slash project <laughs> called Learn with Eben. I'm, I'm not even sure where this is even going to go, you know, but I'm, I'm trying because of the possibilities of the internet. I, I mean, I've seen the internet work, you know, in real time. I'm, I'm trying to see if it's possible to carry out the entire tertiary learning experience online because I, I believe that it, whenever technology advances, it disrupts every sphere. And one thing that's not, disru- that's not been disrupted for a while is edu- education. 
and I think it's possible that technology can, in this new era, you know, I mean, we're seeing remote learning, you know, evolving a lot more. And I believe it's possible to have a, tertiary, a very good quality tertiary education experience from the best universities in the world for a very little fraction of the cost and be able to do it at a very short, at a, at a short space, you know, as short as possible. So, for example, um, I'm doing a bachelor's in business administration now. It's supposed to be, usually the bachelor's program lasts for four years, right? I'm able to do this one for 18 months, two years, you know, and there will be a lot more of this happening post-COVID, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the post-COVID world and the pre-AI world, where you have people able to use the internet in great ways, you know, whether it's for learning or for several things. So yeah, so learning even is one of them. I'm trying to see if it's possible to do that. I'm trying to also have a community of virtual learners. Because one thing I, I notice is that people who study things online usually feel alone. It's, I mean, learning online feels lonely a lot because like it's just you, yeah, it's just you and your laptop or you and your course. And sometimes it's very hard to motivate yourself you know, to get to continue studying as, I mean, compared to when you have a roommate in your, your hostel who will be there to tell you it's time to read or stuff like that. So I'm trying to set up a community of virtual learners who kind of like inspire each other. We don't know where it's going to go to yet, but inspire each other to take on courses, you know, there's degree programs or executive programs or short programs, etc. you know, to to see how, how far we can stretch the boundaries of learning. So that's, that's one thing I'm doing passionately. The second thing is that I'm currently um, the editor for Ninja Delta Link. Niger Delta Link is an online um, advocacy platform where we're trying to talk about the Niger Delta, you know, I mean, people know about the bad news already, but trying to shine the light on the positive things that are happening in the Niger Delta region. So whether it's young people doing great things or NGOs doing amazing things, so all of those kind of things, you know, shining the light on what's what's, what's actually happening. Um, It's a project under PIN Foundation. Uh, PIN Foundation works in the Niger Delta region, the United States. Um, so that's something I'm doing passionately that is also making me happy every, every day. Because I've always been thinking about how we can make sure the region gets the kind of visibility that it, it deserves, you know, especially on the internet. So that's something I'm doing. But the final thing, because I'm doubling up, so I'm working as managing the engineering project. I'm also working in advocacy for PIN Foundation. One thing that PIN is doing in the Niger Delta region is that we're, trying, we're currently trying to set up plans, development plans for the nine states in the Niger Delta region. We've noticed that what happens is that you have politicians come come on board and have their own agenda, you know, two-point agenda, one-point agenda, and then when they leave, their projects, if they don't finish them, are abandoned, you know, and then the new guy comes on and just starts his own one-point agenda, five-point agenda, and does something, you know, so he wastes resources, wastes time, wastes, I mean, like, it's just, it's, it's a joke, pretty much. So we're trying to set up a plan that will be legalized, that will have legal backing, where anyone who comes on board this is what's happening in Lagos. Anyone who comes on board is forced to follow through the development plan for that state. You know, you go through the plan, whatever they should do next. Once you leave, exactly. next guy comes on board, he follows the plan. So that it's way, there's steady, there's yeah. you know, there's steady growth, continuity. I mean, that's why Lagos State seems like the the best state in, in Nigeria mm. because they have a 15-year plan that they follow through. Each person that comes on yeah. follows and implements that plan through to the end. So, so we did a 30-year plan for Cross River State last year. We're doing one now for Abia and Edo. I'm currently managing the one for Abia State. Um, tough, pretty much, to get civil servants and get government people, politicians, you know, to come together and discuss and plan. But we're having partners like the EU and other people supporting us. So let's see how that goes. So that's also keeping me awake. All right. So drop your <laughs> social you. media so handles quickly, where we can find you, how we can connect. So I'm on almost every social media platform you can imagine, okay. from TikTok to <laughs> to Twitter, to Instagram. My name is Ebenezer Wikina on all the platforms, E-B-E-N-E-Z-E-R, and then Wikina. 
um, on all the platforms. So anywhere you find me, I'll be there. Ben is And there you have it. We've come to the end of the show today. It was such a vulnerable interview. Thank you so much, Ebenezer, for sharing your experiences and your journey with us. We wish you success all step of the way. If you enjoyed this episode, please do also hit the subscribe button. Drop us a review. Drop us a voice message. We will be so glad to hear it. Follow us on Instagram at Blue Ribbon Podcast. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye for now.